And welcome to the Long Island Orange and Blue Podcast, a New York Mets and Islanders experience. I am your host, Jimmy Malone. You can always hit me up on Instagram at Jimmy Malone double underscore. And check out my online publications at Rising Apple for the Mets and at Eyes on Isles for the Islanders, both of the fan-sided website. What's going on, everyone, and welcome back to episode two of the Long Island Orange and Blue podcast. I am your host, Jimmy Malone, and we're going to break down the last two Islander games as they started their West Coast swing on Tuesday night against the Colorado Avalanche and then Thursday night against the Arizona Coyotes. The game against the Avalanche, you know, it's it's one of those games where you go into it and... You kind of just say to yourself, let's hope we get a point. And they did. They they got a point. But it's almost like going into a jet season from not this year, obviously, with Rodgers. But let's say 2017-2018 where it's like, well, if they win six games, that's pretty good considering how awful this roster looks. But it's all about how you get there, right? Like 2017, they had Josh McCown as the quarterback. And everybody was saying the Jets are going to be 1-15, 0-16, 2-14. They end up 5-11, but you have to remember they started the year 3-2. And then fast forward to 2022, they start the year 7-4 and and then finish the year 7-10. So with this Islander game, it's all about how you get to that one point. And that's what was so frustrating about this game, so... It starts off, you have Pierre Engvall, he's now back in the lineup after being benched last weekend, and right away he comes out of the shoe with a breakaway goal, Uh, really just used his speed to get all the way down the ice five minutes in, and it's already a one nothing game, right, when you sit down in your seat, so from that standpoint, this is now twice Pierre Engvall has responded pretty quickly to a benching. The last time he got benched earlier on in the season, he came back and he was shooting the puck much better, playing with much more speed. You could see the skating ability, and you saw that again in this game. So maybe Lane Lambert knows something that we don't, where you got to send, I guess, Pierre Engvall in particular a message to, to play better because both times he's responded. And who knows, maybe it's also fashing. I thought last weekend actually played quite well. Um, moving up to the second line with Nelson and Palmieri. So that could have something to do with it. And then right away, not even a minute later, the former Islander, the worst, uh, you got to say, this is one of the worst trades in franchise history was to send Devontae's to the Colorado Avalanche. I know everybody says it, so I'm repeating what everybody says. We all know it. But it's such a stupid trade. This this is just like when the Mets let Daniel Murphy walk and he came back to haunt them. That's what Devon Taves keeps doing to the Islanders. And he had a couple of chances in this game. I think he had six shots on net. The guy was all over the Islanders. Uh, so now it's a tie game at one. And... The Islanders had basically no puck possession the entire first period. Just keep in, keep in mind that 
Pierre Engvall's goal was on a breakaway. They had an odd band rush down the ice, and it was mostly Engvall just flying down the ice. So then Varlamov, he makes 11 of 12 saves, only gives up that one goal of Devontae's, and he leaves the game after 15 minutes, and now Sorokin's in. So right after Sorokin comes in, you have the Nathan McKinnon roughing penalty. And once again, you know, the Islanders, they don't look good on the power play. They're not entering the zone real well. But then from back down their own defensive zone, Dobson gets somehow gets the puck to Nelson because now all of a sudden Colorado's threatening with a shorthanded goal. Nelson gets it back down, just like Engvall. He goes flying back down the ice. Odd man rush just puts the puck on net, net and now it's 2-1. to one. So again, it's not like they set up in the offensive zone and they're looking for the great shot. It was Nelson flying from one end of the ice to the other on the power play and being able to get that goal to finish off the second period. And I think even Elias Sorokin on that play had an assist. Which last year, if you remember that overtime win, I forget who it was against, but it was at UBS Arena. Because keep in mind, Colorado has only lost, what, four games in their own building all year. And we're 38, 39 games in. So, from that standpoint, to go into the second period with a 2-1 to lead, and then all of a sudden to start the second period, now you have Simon Holmstrom breaking down the ice with Cal Clutterbuck on an odd man rush, and he gets a goal, and it's now 3-1. to and I got to tell you, when I started watching the second period, I was I was pretty pumped up. Like, holy crap, we're going to get out of this with two points. But then, eventually, when you're playing in your own zone the entire game, a team like the Avalanche, you're going to take advantage. And Nechushkin, if I even pronounce his name correctly, I mean, it's a tough name to pronounce. I don't know how... Give Brennan Burke and Butch Goring a lot of credit. I don't know how they pronounce his name. The Chushigan, he gets the goal uh, right after the Islanders just about kill off the Barzell high-sticking penalty. He gets the goal as Barzell's coming out of the box. Now it's a 3-2 game. All right, I mean, we weren't leaving the game winning 3-1. You knew that. You knew Colorado was at least going to get one or two more, which means we got to find a way to get a fourth goal if we want any shot at winning this game. But then a couple minutes later, Drowin gets a goal, and now it's 3-2 to two Islanders. I'm sorry, now it's a tie game at three. And then Romanov, right towards the end of the second period, at least gets Islanders a little bit of momentum. This would be the only goal... That was not a breakaway for the Islanders in this game. As he gets the lead back to make it 4-3 to three Islanders. His goal was just weird because Barzell, I think he was trying to pass the puck. But then it goes off the skate of Brian Johansson. Romanov gets it back and knocks it in. But that was the only time 5-on-5 five five they actually set up in the offensive zone it felt like this entire game. 
And then fast forward to the third period, nothing really happened most of the period other than Sorokin's getting shot on left and right the entire time. And then Nachushkin, right before the third period ends, when you have that Riley interference penalty, he gets the power play goal about 16 minutes in, and now all of a sudden it's a tie game. And you're just saying to yourself, well, here we go again with these third periods. They're playing, they're not, they're not playing to win. They're playing not to lose. Because they are so tight in their own zone defensively. They're all bunched together in front of Sorokin. They're not spreading the perimeter whatsoever. They're just trying not to let the puck get to Sorokin. And by doing that, the puck is constantly hitting Sorokin. And it's just so frustrating. I don't feel like the Islanders were even in their offensive zone that entire third period. I can't recall, you know, a decent shot they took. But then with, what, 20 seconds left in the game, Mayfield gets the holding penalty. And that would be his second penalty of the game. And then you knew what was going to happen right when overtime started. McKinnon gets the power play goal, and then the Islanders lose 5-4. to four. So, back to what I started this podcast with. It's all about how you get there. You had a 3-1 to one lead in this game. You let Colorado get two straight goals in the second period to tie it. You get a lucky one, Romanov off the skate of Johansson. And then you take a bad penalty right before overtime. And I know Lambert said after the game, I... Didn't like that penalty. I didn't like the interference on Riley. But you know, you know what? It, it's you got to be able to kill off the penalties. This penalty kill has been awful all season long. This is the one area you guys were superb at last year was killing off penalties, and part of that was because they were actually at the bottom of the league in penalties taken. But it feels like this year they've kind of reverted to taking dumb ones like how many early in the year did Adam Pellick take that all of us and even the the two broadcasters were saying Pellick's a veteran player he shouldn't be taking cross-checking penalties right in front of the referee like it's too obvious and not to mention the Islanders for back-to-back games were awful in the in the face-off circle they won a lot of them late in this game against Colorado and I think even Butch Goring was made the joke like, there's another win for the Islanders, another win because the whole game, they were not winning any face-offs. It was just like the Pittsburgh game all over again. The only difference is when the Islanders tried to cheat a little bit, they didn't get a penalty like Kyle Palmieri did for delay of game. That's the only difference with this game is that they were at least fair towards the Islanders. If they wanted to cheat a little bit in the face-off circle, they let them. So that was the frustrating part of this game. The updates with Varlamov, he's still listed day-to-day. They brought back this guy, Ken Appleby, from the AHL. Supposedly, he's barely ever played in the AHL, but he played a few games in the NHL with the Devils back in 2018. And I would have to look to see if it was the 17-18 season or the 18-19 season. But if it was the 17-18 season, that means he was on a playoff team. The Devils were pretty good that year. 
and I looked at Appleby's numbers, he wasn't bad at all with the Devils that year. But that's also the New Jersey Devils, and they actually have offensive zone possession. They're not letting up a million shots on net. So now we fast forward to last night with the Arizona Coyotes out at Mullet Arena. That's actually an NCAA hockey arena. And it felt like a miniature version of Nassau Coliseum because their 4,600 or 5,600 capacity arena was filled with Islander fans. So, hey, I guess there's truth to the rumor that New Yorkers aren't just going to Nashville or South Florida or Texas. They're heading out to Phoenix as well because I can't imagine everybody in that arena was just traveling to Arizona to get out of here for a few days in the middle of the school week. So that place was filled with Islander fans from the start. Normally when you hear, let's go Islanders right in the beginning of the game like that on the road, you'll start to hear some booing. There was none. Like, I don't know if there was a Coyote fan in that uh, small little arena they have out there. And listen, as an Islander fan, I can't make fun of a small little arena. I wish the Islanders were at the new Nassau Coliseum that they built too small, so they had to move to Belmont Park. Anyway, this game starts off with the Horvat power play goal from Do- from that Dobson shot that got rebounded. Horvat knocks it in. It's one nothing about halfway through the first period. The first few minutes, nothing really happened. There was a lot of skating around. You had the Nelson wraparound try, I remember, early on in the game. That got stopped, but that was about it. I mean, the Islanders came out playing, you know, pretty well. But then Schmaltz comes back with a power play goal after Riley. It was, like I said before, with Pella cross-checking somebody right in front of the referee. Well, Riley did it last night. Right in front of the net, right in front of Sorokin, right in front of the ref. He gets the cross-checking penalty. Clutterbuck then gets the slashing penalty. Now, the only good thing that came out of any of this is when... Schmaltz finally got the power play goal. It was right when Riley came out of the box. Remember, it was five on three for 10 seconds. And and as I'm watching it, I'm kind of like, okay, there's only 10 seconds left of a five on three. Islanders are up two nothing at this point. Not Don't let me forget the Mike Riley goal in the first period as well, which was just an absolute snipe. That was a great setup from Barzell to a wide open Riley. And that, that puck was... Had to be going 95 to 97, 98 miles an hour. That was a hard shot that he took. And Riley's been real good since coming over to the Islanders. But this is back-to-back games. His penalty led to the other team scoring. So it's 5-on-3 for 10 seconds. And right as Riley's coming out of the box, Arizona gets that goal. So now it's 2-1. to one, But the good thing out of it, the way I thought about it in my head was, Okay, technically Riley was out of the box, even if he, he only took two steps out. His penalty already expired. So now that goal counts towards the Clutterbuck penalty as a five on four. And now there's you're no longer shorthanded. That was the only good thing that came out of it because 
two that happened two or three seconds before. Now you still got to kill off another penalty, and we know how bad this penalty kill is. And for the rest of that period, Arizona had all the momentum. I think the Islanders took six shots in the second period, and. The only quality one they had was that weird Sezikis breakaway where he was all by himself. That's two of the last three games. Sezikis is by himself in the offensive zone. And this time, instead of shooting it right into the goaltender's glove, he actually tries a little bit of like a shootout type of goal. Like I was saying in the last podcast, why doesn't he try a little bit of a backhand? This time he did. He went to the backhand and he almost, it's almost like he passed it to the goalie. I don't know what happened. If he just lost control of the puck, I, I don't know. Um, and then somebody's got to explain why the first eight minutes of this, of the second period, a big reason why their offense was awful because Barzell disappeared at one point in this game. And I got scared. I'm like, what, what the hell happened to him? Where is he? But then he eventually came back out. And the reason I knew that was because why is Clutterbuck playing on the third line with Pajot and Holmstrom? And then all this, so at first I'm thinking, oh, something must have happened to Gauthier. But then here's Gauthier on the fourth line with Sezikis. And then he's playing a little bit on the first line with Horvat. But then eventually they got Barzell's rear end back. I don't know, maybe he was, maybe he was, you know, using the bathroom. Who, who knows? It is possible Cespedes missed his name being called in 2015 World Series taking a crap. So it's not like it's impossible. But the third period was, you know, you go into it, they have a 2-1 to lead. And at first, the first five minutes, you're thinking in your head, here we go again. They're playing not to lose. They're all jumbled up in front of Sorokin. And... That wasn't the case the rest of the way, thankfully. After they finally got the puck into the offensive zone, Lee got a weird goal because Arizona, they were taking it right back out of the zone on the Islanders once again. But Michael Kesserling just made some god-awful pass that Lee somehow intercepted and that was vintage Anders Lee, that wrist shot that he took, intercepts the puck and just knocks it back in. Somehow, Barzell got credited for an assist. I don't know how on that goal. I mean, that, in my opinion, should, as much as I love Barzell, and he got his 400th and 401st points of his career in this game, and he just got named as a starter to the All-Star game. By the way, Dobson should be joining him, maybe even Horvat. <laughs> But certainly Dobson needs to be an all-star this year. That he, He's an animal. He had another assist last night. But Lee gets that beautiful wrist shot goal. And then right after, Gauthier has to break away goal on the odd man rush. And now all of a sudden the game's broken open. It's 4-1. to one, And they keep going. I mean, how often do the New York Islanders actually shoot the puck? With just a couple minutes to go in the game. They kept going almost like the Penguins game when they lost 7-0. And Pittsburgh just kept shooting and shooting and shooting on Varlamov late in the third period. So now Horvat ends up with his own breakaway unassisted goal. And now it's a 5-1 game. And that's how the game would end. I mean, nothing much really happened after that. They had a couple of nice shots on net. 
Otherwise, it, nothing real eventful happened the rest of the game, which is fine. They're up five to one. I mean, who cares? Just make sure you don't somehow give up five now. And don't tell me, oh, no, they're not going to give up multiple goals late in the game. No, no, no. San Jose Sharks put up three unanswered goals late in that game at home and then got one in overtime, and the Islanders blew that whole game. So don't tell me it can't happen because we've already seen it happen with this team this year. So I'm still locked in paying attention, like just don't do anything stupid. Don't take two penalties here. Just end the game. No Ajita. And that was the that was the game right there. Connor Ingram was off his game. He's been a great goaltender for Arizona this year. They were not expected to be fourth place in the Central Division, but they are. They have a better record than the Islanders because they had 19 wins coming into this game. But a lot of it comes down to their goaltender and their young defensemen. That's why they've been so good this year. And... They didn't look too good against the Islanders. It wasn't just an ugly camera angle from that arena, which was almost looked like it was from the roof. Just that angle was very weird. Never see, I mean, anybody can go back and watch that game. It felt like round two of the 2019 playoffs, Islanders versus Hurricanes, when they basically had the camera on the roof of the Barclays Center. If you remember those games on, I think it was on NBC, those games, just a weird camera angle. And the only bad thing I could say about the Islanders in this game, not that I'm looking for anything bad, is the first period they iced the puck five million times. And you can't tell me, oh, those were close calls. Why is the ref calling those ones? They iced the puck. I mean, and they... I think the refs got tired of calling it because there were a few other times Islanders iced the puck and they just waved it because they were probably sick of the 5 million face-offs they were taking early in this game as well. And not to mention, as an Islander fan, you're, the game doesn't start till almost 10 o'clock at night. You're sick of seeing all the face-offs. 